Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the East Anglian Theatre Podcast. Well, it's a warm welcome from me as we all weigh up whether to put on our heating or wear a fourth layer of clothing. Frozen we may all be, but the world of theatre is properly beginning to thaw as we head towards the autumn winter season and that warm embrace offered by Panto and Halloween. Now, whilst performers such as those seasoned Panto veterans emerge blinking into the light for the first time, it's time for this podcast to head into a hibernation of sorts, as on a personal level I've got a very busy couple of weeks ahead with the Welkin opening at the Sewell Barn Theatre in Norwich. And then once that's done, I then owe it to Open Door Theatre to get my head down and properly immerse myself in their original musical called Yippie So this will be the last episode in this series. Quite when I'll be back, I'm not sure, but I can still irritate you on social media in the meantime, of course. Now, what kind of intro is that? I forgot my manners. Hi, everyone. My name is Ray Tempester and I am your host. I like to think of myself as a sort of town crier for theatre in East Anglia, but rather than shouting hear ye, hear ye in people's faces in town centres armed with a bell in hand, instead I shout stupid things like eatpod.co.uk into the ether like a bell end. For those that haven't listened before, well, you're very late to the party, and what a party you haven't missed. The way the podcast works is simple. It's split into three sections. Section one is where I tell you a bit about what I've been up to in the world of theatre lately. Usually it's a review of a show I've seen or how rehearsals with something I'm involved in are going. But I'm very much the warm-up back for section two, which is the interview with a guest company. More often than not, they're here to talk about an upcoming show. But rather than delivering an impassioned monologue, I unhelpfully interject with some vapid, uninspired questions. Once I bid them farewell, in an ill-thought-out, rather hasty manner, we move on to the final section, where I take a look at a few shows and audition opportunities coming up in the region in the next few weeks. That's all coming up, of course, but first, let me tell you something about my social media accounts and the website. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, eatpod.co.uk. Like, follow, share, interact, you you know the drill. 21 episodes of saying the same thing gets quite boring. That was professionally handled, wasn't it? Now, let's move on to section one, where I ask myself, what have I been up to theatre-wise recently? Well, with rehearsals ramping up for the Welkin this week, I've not had time to venture out and watch anything. However... Local actress Joanna Swan got in touch to ask that I take a listen to an audio drama project that she's recently completed. So, whilst curling up on the sofa, cooking dinner, ironing, cleaning out the chicken coop, I immersed myself in a newly adapted audio drama. It's called Law of the Salvatacy. It was written by Stephen C. Davis and Wolfenstag. As far as I'm aware, not necessarily as a performative piece, but once you've heard the stories performed by Joanna, you'll understand why the stories lend themselves brilliantly to a more dramatic format. I went into it completely in the dark about the content of the drama, but it was quickly explained upon beginning the story. It centres around tales that were uncovered in a house in Yorkshire which tell of the mysterious Salvatasi, whose identity is unclear. Were they a group of freedom fighters? Were they terrorists? Were they Robin Hood's men even? Or perhaps members of a cult? Whatever they were... The tales help to create a vivid picture of life in the Dark Ages, and they've been painstakingly pieced together by authors Stephen C. Davis and Wolfenstag. So, what did I think? Well, the first thing to note is a practical point. It clocks in at over three and a half hours, but the slightly daunting length needn't put you off. Although they are all interlinking tales, each chapter stands up as a great piece of storytelling independently, so if you don't have the time to listen to it in one go, it matters not. 
It's handily organised into neat little chapters so you can metaphorically put it down and pick it up at your leisure. There was a handy explanation about how the project came about and then the adventure began in earnest. Now I have to say it didn't get off to the best of starts in my view as I just could not get on board with the poetry about the one they call Hernangars and the name is etched on my memory as it was seemingly repeated about a dozen times throughout. But once we moved on from bloody Hernangars, from there the action really came to life and in no small part thanks to the wonderful work of Joanna Swan. The whole thing is split into 40 or so chapters, so there's simply too many to pay tribute to Joanna's voice acting in each chapter. But as a general comment, she gave the whole thing a wonderful variety, not least in terms of her range of voices and accents. She offered a sense of authority when needed, instilled it with deep emotion at times, and just generally heightened the sense of drama throughout. It's a body of work that she can be immensely proud of, as she was captivating and engaging from start to finish, keeping me hooked on stories that being completely honest, I probably wouldn't have sought out beforehand. However, having now come across the tales in this format, I am definitely keen to hear more. As I mentioned, there's too many chapters to review individually, but for me, here's some of the standout moments. The Urchin Queen was a thoroughly enjoyable tale, winding its way down a cruel and violent path into a joyful and triumphant love story. This was also a particular standout moment for Joanna's voice work. Raven Sister, Raven Brother is a short one, but extremely engaging and brilliantly entertaining. Adrasil was incredibly dramatic. Saul and the Dibbuk had both great narration and excellent background sounds, which really added to the storytelling. Mother Hode was powerful, ominous and dramatic. Faces of the Forest was very atmospheric, and Carlotta had an excellent narrative, was gripping and very sexual. They're all very unique stories and definitely worth a listen. The paperback version of the book has been available for quite some time and I'm sure it's available at all major stockists. But this version, more of an audio drama rather than a straight audio book, is released on Audible on the 15th of October. Now if woodland, pagan and Norse folklore is up your street then you'll love this. But actually, even if it's not, if you're a fan of captivating storytelling and engaging voice acting then why not consider something a little different and give this brilliant piece of work a shot? Well, that's section one done. And on to section two, the guest slot. And this time I'd like to introduce you to three people, all involved with the latest production from Norfolk-based Slow Theatre Company. Their names are Danny O'Hara, Stephen Keyworth and Vanessa McCauley. And they're all integral parts of Slow Theatre's upcoming show, Haunted Deepdale, The Ghost Hunter's Mark. They're here with me now, so without further ado, which is a shame because I do so enjoy and ado, here is an interview with Slow Theatre. Hello there, Danny, Stephen and Vanessa. It's lovely to speak with you all. Now, since there's three of you, could you each just introduce yourself? Well, my name's Danny and my role within this production is I'm the producer and the director. Uh, hi, I'm, I'm Steve Keyworth. I'm uh, the writer on, on this show for the second year. Hello, I'm Vanessa McCauley. I'm one of three actors returning from last year. Two of us have returned from last year in the production this year. What happened to the third? <laughs> you. I've got new blood. <laughs> uh, for the for the audiences back home that didn't that haven't got access to Zoom like I have, uh, Danny just made a, a signal across her neck there. <laughs> All I'm saying is this is haunted deep down. Not everyone returns. Now, you're obviously here to talk about the upcoming show, Haunted Deep Dale. But before we do that, um, this really, I guess, is a question for you, Danny. 
as a director of Slow Theatre, the company behind the production, I wondered if I could ask you to tell us about the company itself. Yes. Um, Slow Theatre Company is a really tiny not-for-profit theatre company. We're a social enterprise, um, which means that if we made profit, we would be putting it into projects that we feel are good for the community and the individual. So our aim is to both make exciting new theatre, but also to use the arts, the creative arts, to the good of people within communities. You'd have to make a profit, but normally most of our work is more based around the community work and then every so often we actually make proper like exciting new works so this is falling into that camp but also has a community element to it because we're taking the show into care homes so we're very much about accessibility trying to bring the arts to people or offering opportunities within the arts and and seeing live theatre particularly regardless of your income or where you're where you are and I think in Norfolk, we've been going on and on. Uh, so we've been going since 2010, but we became a social enterprise in 2015. And in Norfolk, it feels like the rural areas, people don't always have access to arts within rural areas. And certainly people are not necessarily being um, given opportunities to see new theatre in the same quantity that you might if you lived in a, a large city. And then, of course, a lot of people can't afford theatre to either take part themselves or to go and watch it because it involves humans every element of it these humans need to be paid a living wage and therefore does have to have a ticket price to it now onto the show itself haunted deepdale and it won't come as a surprise to the audience that involves some ghostly tales but can you tell us a bit about the format so last year haunted deepdale the wild ride um, was our first attempt to outside October theatre up on the North Norfolk coast and um, we it was just I love making theatre in unusual space because the unusual space often sort of sings to me it jumps up at me when I when I'm around it and I feel like oh this is this is a space oh wow this has got a magic to it and when you're on the North Norfolk coast in this orchard it does feel so oh god it's almost like you've got the job done before you've even turned up it's all there and so I try to lean into that. So Haunted Deepdale's back again this year. We're up at Burnham Deepdale on in the orchard of um, Deepdale Camping. And it's outside and it has an immersive and promenade element to it, which means that people will come inside the space and see a set and they will also move within the show. So they are very much part of the show, but they aren't picked on or they're not scared. They're not jumped out at. There's no pe- nobody hiding between a tree. It's not a scare acting piece. It's a theatrical event. So it's it's based around the, you know, good writing and scenes and character. But of course, the stories are based on myths and legends of Norfolk. And that might be a bit spooky at times. Mm. And I guess this is really obviously a question for you, Stephen. Now, it's probably a daft question, really. But is, is immersive theatre something you enjoy writing for? at least compared to a more traditional theatre format? Yeah, I, I have um, I have previous in this area as well. I worked on a project called 5065 Lift for a, a couple of years, which was a, a portable elevator, two metres square. It used to be in the Oxo Tower in London, and it went on Brighton Beach, and it went in the Pleasance Courtyard in Edinburgh, and uh, it was like 12 people, or less than that, if the cast was larger, uh, in a very tiny space getting theatre. And it was, it was a wonderful thing to write for. And it was very much then about story and character and, and there's no space to be uh, sort of boring there. And we then took it on and we did a, 
had a crazy year we got to do it in the London Eye and take over every pod in the London Eye. So I've, and, and then before that, I sort of worked in a warehouse in Exeter in a theatre project capacity, not in it, and it was a summer job. So I, I really enjoy those spaces where you can get kind of close to the audience. And also, yeah, some kind of set is is, is created for you. There's There are companies like Punch Drunk who have uh, kind of made a whole career out of immersive promenade theatre. That's It's very... I mean, I've been doing it longer than they have, but uh, but yeah, there's, there's there's a lot of it around, and I really do enjoy that. And yes, I mean, l- last year there was there's a, there was a story about uh, a woman who well, there was a witch who was trapped in a tree, and then and we had we had a tree that we were using for this, and uh, during the festival, uh, during the, the shows, it started to enlarge its part. It was talk of a there being a crack in the tree, and one of the actors swore that the crack appeared during this sort of five five nights of doing the show. But, um, but maybe that's what performing in the open air for five days will, will do to you. But uh. <laughs> I guess this one's really for, for Vanessa about your experience as an actor, really. I'm sort of interested in your experience of immersive theatre as as an actor myself. I've always kind of shied away from immersive theatre as I've got the feeling that when when you remove the stage and and introduce an element of audience interaction, on certainly on a close level, I, I think I'd lose all my confidence. But how do you find it? Yeah, I think it's not for everybody, is it? But I love it. Uh, I love any opportunity to break the fourth wall. And I think getting, especially in this setting, getting the closeness that you get with the audience, it's an immediate reaction. You know, something I don't always enjoy about theatre is you can't always see them when the lights are on and you're on stage. You know, you don't know how it's being received. But in a setting like this, you're up close and personal and, you know, you're getting a feel for it. Everybody's enjoying the atmosphere at the same time. And for me as a performer, I just I find it such a buzz. I love it. Mm. Some of the plays I've been in, I don't think I'd like to see the audience's reaction to it. <laughs> there is that. This is a family friendly <laughs> show. So it's it's brilliant. You know, there's all ages in the audience. We got a real mix of people last year. And hopefully we, you know, we've changed the format even more. But I think we'll attract hopefully yeah, lots of different ages. And yeah, can't wait. Yeah, um, speaking of last year's show, obviously that that one was called the the Wild Ride. Um, this this year's one is the Ghost Hunters Mark. How do they vary from each other? Well, we were looking for, uh, I guess, last year with for the, when we found the Wild Ride, we were looking for a central story or a central kind of image, and there was this idea idea of the Wild Ride, which is this kind of endless parade of kind of spectres and monsters and Black Shook. You've got to get, got to get Black Shook in there somewhere. Yeah, that that kind of tied it together last year, and this year it's the Ghost Hunters Mark, and it's it's a lot about a particular around a particular church, uh, which where I read about various various stories connected to this church in Yarmouth. I'm going to reveal it's in Yarmouth. Yeah, it's glorious. It's many, just many, many colourful, glorious stories around this this place. So that those I look for stories. It's good to have something like as I say. Last year it was that image of the wild ride, and this year it's a kind of a sort of more of a physical place that ties it all together. Mm. And we look as well for like I, I look as for, for three stories that are sort of different, like different experiences and and different kind of slightly different sort of genres, and because you want to kind of surprise the audience in any way you can, I think. And you mentioned about Deepdale Camping uh, as the venue. What is it about that venue that you feel sort of gives gives rise to such immersive experience such as this? I mean, it has a nice ring to it, um, Haunted Deepdale, but perhaps over in that part of the county, most people tend to favour wells, for instance. Although I guess Haunted Wells probably uh, suggests something else. <laughs> controversial, controversial. <laughs> 
But I, I guess because I, I think of Burnham Deepdale as a nice place to pass through. Well, let's stop. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Keep digging there, Ray. Um, the thing is, with Deepdale camping, it's it's there's this really large farm. And over the last, I think, decade, but possibly longer, it's been moving towards being less about the farm. Well, you know, I'm not the expert on Deepdale, so I'm going to say something wrong here. But the way I found out about Deepdale camping was I actually booked into one of the bunkhouses about 15 years ago. And I was out walking with a friend and we stayed over and it happened to be a Sunday and everybody got together and the owners had a jacket potato event where they would just bring anyone who was at the campsite jacket potatoes in the sort of um, the common room and everybody got together for a jacket potato and a drink and a chat. And I just loved that. Having lived in communities, I was just like, my God, what is this place, this mystical place? Because it is a distance from Norwich. So it felt like I was in another world, really. So it already etched into my heart at that point. I just thought, God, I must go there again. And when we were looking for a partner, I want to work with somebody who has the same values as we do. And Deep Dale Camping and the farm, they're, they're organic. They work um, and they really believe in the outside and, and being environmentally friendly and, and working with the land and not against the land. And so they were actually one of my nat- natural partners that we approached with like my fingers crossed behind my back going, oh, I wonder if we could do something with them because I've always felt that they were a great organization. And um, and Jason, who is the, the owner now, the manager, he just really came on board and was really excited about it. In fact, he wanted to grow it really quick. And he loves bringing the theater and live performance to that area. Now, the interesting thing is, it's an absolute treat to get there. I, um, you know, Vanessa lives up the road. So for her, this is all n- normal um, environment. And one of the other actors lives not far away as well. So for them, they, they're not going to appreciate me saying, oh, my God, we finally made it here. And isn't it great up here? Because for them, this is their normal. But I really love that part of the county. And it feels very different to the broads, to the to the east. It feels really different. And having lived in Yorkshire as well, I always feel like there's a coastal Yorkshire feeling to the area. And I just think that lends itself. The environment just conjures up wind and, I don't know, a little bit more wildness in my imagination and so having outdoor theatre in October with the ghosts that just feels like a great place to do it all so that is a long-winded way of saying how we ended up at Deepdale plus they also said yes so (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I guess that does come into it as well availability yeah now like all great interviewers I did my research before speaking to you and I noticed that ahead of Haunted Deepdale reaching the general public you're going out on a sort of mini tour of, of care homes now you've already touched upon it making the group as accessible as possible so i guess i'm probably i've you've probably answered my own question really in a way but what 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 can you tell us about that and and the thought behind it because not many people tend to go to care homes no and that is why i want to do it i think i've got quite a strong feeling that um people residents in care homes get often left out of community life and i struggle to understand myself you know I'm hoping that when I when I get to that age I'll have lived a good life I'll do what I want to do but I suppose what I think is is that people who who live in care homes are all different people who've all got their past and they've got their loves and joys and history and so they're not they're they're, they're very important parts of our communities so what I've noticed within the arts over the last 12 or 15 years working here in Norfolk is that some people specialize in taking work into care homes and that's brilliant. And I long live, long way may they live. What I'd love to see is more companies 
being funded and it does come down to a mindset and a funding issue to say if I'm coming to Norfolk with a tour how do I also take that to residents who can't make it into the theatre and when I've rung up these care homes they are biting my hand off and so especially after the pandemic I just wish we had a bridge between any any touring company like who said yeah I'm in Norfolk for one day five days two weeks five weeks and what element will we take into care homes because we're not taking the whole show we're adapting it there's going to be a cup of tea there's time for chat we want to hear their thoughts we're going to you know may it could feel like a very different event but the important thing is is that they don't miss out just because they can't get out to an outside venue mm. so there's part of me that really would really would love to see this being a very normalized activity with any tour but of course most companies mine included there's incredibly difficult to fund that um for this one we've got some funding we haven't got full funding but we did get some funding from north norfolk district council so if there is a care home listening or a day center we've still got some places for a week in october for us to pop in and it is largely funded oh fantastic does it present a sort of a an R&D opportunity before you actually go into the life of the public, getting feedback. Well, well, Ray, now that's an interest. This is what artists need to think about. It's not not look at it as an extra, but look at it as, oh, how can we incorporate that? And I feel for my actors, this is a golden opportunity for them to have the both a very different setting. So by the time they've finished their two weeks with us, they've done outdoor, hopefully large crowds. Let's hope for that. Um, But also they've really, they might have done a one-to-one with a, a resident in bed. That's a really different form of acting. That's a different type of storytelling. It's a really different type of experience. So you do get to really practice and try out different different parts of your toolbox. And yeah, why not let that be part of your um, your, your your rehearsal period? Absolutely. I think I will add that this this show lends itself well for that because it's um, essentially two to three big long monologues. And therefore, these are long stories. So by the time these actors have done 16 uh, care homes over four days, that monologue is going to be in their brain and ready to go. And just touching upon your own experiences briefly and of the productions that you've seen or indeed been involved in, is there any moments that stick out as being the most impactful to you in in your current guises? And, and I'm conscious that I'm speaking to the three of you here in different capacities here, you know, as producer, writer and and an actor, respectively. Yeah, I, I'll start. When I say about enjoying immersive theatre, I've also been to see a lot of shows that involve that and the one that sticks out most recently I suppose most vividly uh, was at the Bridge Theatre in London Nicholas Heintner was it Hintner Hintner, uh, directed Midsummer Night's Dream okay he he does a run of of shows at the Bridge and that was sort of one of my first tastes of immersive theatre where the actors walk amongst the audience and you're on the same level you know it was akin to groundlings in the globe so that's something when I saw that I knew that that's something I wanted to perform in as well, you know, where you're, like I say, directly um, interacting with the audience and Mm. almost, you almost adapt your performance to to their reactions and to the mood that's there, you know, you can be a bit more in tune with it. So, yeah, if that answers your question. It absolutely does answer (laughs) the question. Um, Well, I, I guess, I mean, when I was doing the 5065 lift, I really enjoyed being able to see audience reaction up, up close, you know, I mean, this isn't necessarily going to happen in this one, but I had audience members cry. We had all, all sorts of things 
happen in, in such an intimate, intimate space. I mean, more recently, I'm, I've worked with uh, improv groups in, in Norwich, and I, I do enjoy that as an interactive the, a kind of theatre experience. I, uh, actually, just sort of working at the Madden Market or other venues of, of being able to see the audience's reaction and do more of this or less of this, or, or kind of really incorporate their suggestions and, and sort of, which takes you somewhere that nowhere, no one was expecting. So has that had an impact on on future writing? I mean, are you working on anything currently now that you've, you know, you've taken your most recent experiences into your future writing? Well, I've, I've always been a stand-up as well as a, as a writer. So I, yeah, I will, within these shows, I do, I do kind of look for the comedy as well as the, I just want, we want the audience to be engaged all the time. So we, we kind of, if there'll be frights later, there'll be laughs earlier and then there'll be, you know, laughs, laughs late, later as well. So that's all, always been my background, the performing and, and the writing. And it does give you a kind of an ear for, for kind of what works in terms of sort of dialogue. Yeah, we should really add in here that although these stories are, are quite spooky at times and they're both based on Norfolk ghosts and legends, Steve is such a funny writer and we, you will, you know, I'm still chuckling about one of the stories because I just found it so funny that when I think of it, I'm just chuckling. And so, certainly last year, we had a lot of laughter as alongside the <gasps> moment. Yeah, I've, I've just, I wrote one of these stories last year after, after we did the show and I, I sort of came back to it in the summer and I was like, this is, this is good. This is quite funny. It's pretty funny. And I very much enjoyed watching the, the sort of read through the actors the other day. As a theatre maker, actually, what really, really affects me is often um, non non um, scripted pieces. Uh, they might like it might be an experience in the woods, or it might be a I don't know a sound installation or dance. And at Latitude, where I know I can get a, a lot of arts in a short period of time, and they stimulate me. And and clown and street entertainment and circus, they really stimulate my um, emotional responses. And I bring that into my shows because I'm really dyslexic. So the words for me are not the first thing that hit me, which can be quite complicated when you're directing a wordy piece. But I respond to it in a non-verbal way first. So how someone in the audience feels and what they might see is really important to me. Didn't answer the question properly, but that'll do. <laughs> um, here's one you, you might not be able to answer as well. What about your first memories of theatre? What had the most meaningful impact on you? I only answered this myself recently because I went to a holiday camp um, for the first time in years. And it was watching the um, the Bluecoats entertain with song and dance and bums and waves and stuff. And I realised that's where I met theatre because we didn't we didn't go to theatre and I never went to see a play. And so I couldn't quite work out why I've always wanted to work in theatre because by 16, I was already working in theatre front of house. So I know where it was. It was whenever we went to a holiday camp and the red coats or the blue coats came on and I just thought, yeah, I want a bit of that. That looks amazing. I saw a uh, the Nottingham Playhouse. Um, I come from Nottingham. So, yeah, good, good stuff came there. And um there was a, a version of Robin Hood, not not the Panto, just the telling of Robin Hood. I guess there's always versions of Robin Hood in Nottingham. But um, I remember as a kid being uh, brought onto the stage to be part of the river, I guess, where little John has to cross and, and there's, they have to, have to fight. But we were all up on the stage kind of waving and being the river. And I just I don't remember much about the show at all, apart from that kind of being up there and being part of it. And then there's a big gap and I saw 
Mark Rylance being Hamlet when I was doing my A-levels, and, and he's <sighs> hilarious as well as heartbreaking. Oh, a, lot, a lot more jokes in Hamlet than you realise. For me, I uh, I was very lucky. My mum was always really keen to take me to shows. I remember going to see Philip Schofield in Dr. Doolittle when I was really tiny. <laughs> that left a lasting impression. Um and then there's something in my memory. There was a place I come from Wokingham near Reading and there was a fantastic art centre called South Hill Park in Bracknell. Um, and I know we went there. For, I went to see Panto there and all sorts. And there was a show, something like Marvellous Melodies Musical Mystery Tour. You know, it was, it was a really wacky show, but loads of music used in it. I remember there were puppets, really small cast, but a really big show um and it's just yeah that left a lasting impression it was amazing they did some really quirky things there so i was very lucky to see that from a young age i can tell i mean it, you can see the sort of the, the enthusiasm bursting out of you there <laughs> yeah, nice memories <laughs> yeah and w- w- what's coming up next for slow theater after haunted deep gull is there any immediate plans well, I'm just I'm just putting two funding bids in. So there is the possibility that we could have two projects going. One that would be an arts related project with nurses and doctors in the local NHS because the NHS um, is 75 years old next year. So it's a very big well-being project that has an arts installation at the end of it. Um, and the other one is and actually is an online exchange between artists and theatre makers and writers here in this country and then people from around the globe but that has uh, we, we did run we run one in 2020 and all of those videos are online um, and the idea there is how do you if you want to exchange with somebody around the world how do you create theatre or writing with somebody you've never met and you don't have the money to go and find them and could you do it all online and actually could it inspire something um, because climate is really important in that project and so um yeah look out for that but that has been um that didn't get that has uh, not had funding twice now so this is my third time trying the arts council <laughs> third time lucky and I've got to say when you get rejected twice I had a real like yay let's go again whereas the um, first time rejection was really disappointing <laughs> so we'll see what happens just finally back to the sort of promo stuff about Haunted Deepdale when is the show on Okay, so um, it is on twice an evening. Twice an evening? Can you say that? I don't mean twice an evening. Yeah, yeah, twice and twice each evening. Three times a lady. Something, something like that. <laughs> I'm actually going to read it because you know, with me and my dyslexia, I'll suddenly say the wrong date. I was in. I was terrified in case I had to answer this question because yeah. I, I have a very foggy. It's half term. Half term is when it's on. Oh yeah. I think that's a that's a useful thing to say. We should say half term. Yeah. So I'm going to answer this question as if you've just asked me. So the show is on, Ghost, the Ghost Hunters Mark is on during October half term, 26th to the 30th. There's going to be two shows every evening. Tickets are on sale now and you can find, um, well, will you put a link up in your podcast? If we I sh- certainly will. Yeah. yeah. And you can find it on Facebook and on our website, there's a link. Alongside the Ghost Hunters Mark, which is for age, we recommend age eight plus. There is a children's theatre party for three days, and that's on the Thursday of half term, which is the 27th, the Saturday and the 30th. And that is actually only £6 a ticket. And that's for anyone aged 11 and under. And the idea there is that um, it's a, we're using the set to have a treasure hunt. They can come dressed up if they'd like. There is an improvised theatre storytelling session based on the ideas of the audience. And there is also um, party games. So it's 
a different type of um, event, but it still has that live theatre storytelling element. So trying to give the younger ones something to enjoy as well. Fantastic. Right, okay, well, that, that's probably about all we've got time for, really, mostly because I want to get about 20 minutes of content from this. So um, you've gassed on enough. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I really do appreciate your time. So thanks yeah. very much for talking to me. Okay, well, thank you for having us, Ray. So there we have it. That was Slow Theatre Company. As they mentioned, you can watch them in action from the 26th to the 30th of October at Deepdale Camping and Rooms in uh, wherever that is, like West Norfolk. Now, what else is coming up in the region in the next few weeks? Well, I'll start with Rackheath Players, the long-standing group based, funnily enough, in Rackheath near Norwich. They're putting on a production called Dracula, the Bloody Truth, from the 19th to the 22nd of October at their regular haunt, see what I did there, Rackheath Village Hall. It's a silly, fast-paced, family-friendly and faithful-ish adaptation of the novel by Bram Stoker, performed by six actors who between them play 40 characters, just in time for Halloween, of course. Now, I don't just say this because I was part of the group once upon a time, but you can genuinely always rely on Rackheath players to produce high-quality theatre, and it's a lovely little venue too, so do go along if you can. On the other side of Norfolk, Downham Amateur Dramatic Society are also gearing up for a Halloween-themed production. They'll be performing the Adams Family musical comedy from the 20th to the 23rd of October, including matinee performances on the Saturday and Sunday at Downham Market Town Hall. Back down in the south of the county, Harleston players will be performing My Family and Other Animals for six nights between the 21st and 29th of October. For those that don't know the story, it's based on the memoirs of Gerald Dorrell and his wonderfully eccentric family as they start a new life in Corfu in the 1930s. The play has been adapted from the book of the same name and all performances are at Archbishop Sancroft High School. And finally, on the Suffolk-Cambridgeshire border, the youth group of Centre Stage Company in Haverhill will be performing the classic musical Bugsy Malone from the 18th to the 22nd of October, and they'll be performing at the wonderful Haverhill Arts Centre. As usual, I'll post links to all the shows mentioned throughout the week on my social media pages. If you'd like to get in touch to let me know about any upcoming shows that you'd like me to give a shout-out to on social media, or if you'd like to feature on a future episode once normal service resumes, do get in touch. And that, my friends, wraps things up. We'll call that the end of the first series. So join me again after an indeterminate period of time for the start of the second series of the East Anglian Theatre Podcast. Until then, take care of yourselves and go watch some theatre. Bye. (laughs) 